Hi, welcome back to the Changing the Narrative podcast. Sophie Catherine, so happy to have you back here for the fourth episode, The Aftermath and Rebuild. To say that it's been easy to share so much about my personal life would be a lie. Um, This is my blood, sweat, and tears. These are my darkest, most personal moments. But I feel like if I can show bravery and courage to share these moments with you, other people will be encouraged to share their story as well because I think there's so much power when we're vulnerable and share our life story. There's so much power in stories. I want to start this episode with a quote by Zachary K. Douglas, who is one of my favorite poem writers. His writing got me through some of the darkest moments of my life, so I want to open up this episode and set the tone for what I'm about to share. She's incredibly brave for not only getting through what happened to her, but knowing how much more she has to go and still fighting like hell to bring her smile back to life. There's something to be said about a woman who goes that extra mile, knowing it's a lonely place because not everyone has the guts to make it. She approaches each day with a full heart accompanied by an appetite to be extraordinary. Her success isn't determined by how far she gets, for once you've escaped hell, you stop counting the miles and start believing in your hometown love for yourself. Let's dive in. All right, so let's pick up where we left off. I'm out of the hospital. (laughs) That phase of my life, to be honest with you, is such a mental blur. I kind of just stuffed it away like it never happened and just resumed life. There was a span about, I would say I went back to flying about a week and a half to two weeks after I got out of the mental hospital. And in that span, I was still kind of coming back to reality and, you know, I was still so numbed up. They had me on so many different medications, um, which was helpful because it brought me out of psychosis, but I also really wasn't processing. I was very numbed out. I was numbed out to a point where I could function, but I wasn't really feeling anything. And I remember in the span of time, I kept sending this guy letters, literally kept sending him letters. I kept sending him poems. I sent him a letter about me being bipolar. And I think it was probably five days after I got out of the hospital, it finally hit me that this was over. He had sent me this song called Strawberries um, when we were talking. And I based everything around this damn fruit. (laughs) And I had ordered a dress that had strawberries on it. Um, It was my plan to, when we met together and had our rendezvous, I'd wear this dress. And I'd found this locket at a vintage thrift store. And I used it as a pendulum, and I'd written his name and put it inside the locket. And I had these two things in my home. And I just had this moment where I was like, I need to get rid of these things. And I put the song on my headset, and I took this long walk around my city. I live in this very quintessential New England town. Lots of cobblestone and brick sidewalks and winding roads. And I found this kind of house that was kind of set to the side, this very beautiful old colonial-style house. And it had this metal fencing on the outside. And I just took the dress and I kind of threw it over the side of the fence. And I took the locket and I hung it over the side. And I just left it there. And I cried. It was a beautiful spring day. I remember it was really sunny and warm. And I just cried and cried and cried and walked home. And I would cry myself to sleep for the next several months. I just was so devastated. I think it was... It was the death of it was a it was the grieving and the death of an idea because all it was was an idea of this love of this twin flame journey and I had to let it go. And 
I went back to work. I didn't talk about it with people. Um, I just resumed life as normal. You know, I kind of passed it off as, oh, you know, I just went through a lot after my divorce and kind of just needed to like go to a hospital to get examined. And I did a big post on Instagram and Facebook about it. Like, you know, everybody should look out for their mental health and, you know, there's no shame in getting help when you need it. I kind of tried to pass it off like it was my personal decision to go into the psych ward, which it was not. I was literally incapacitated, naked behind my building and taken by a stretcher. The cop that found me had said that in 40 years, he'd never seen anything like that before. Um, He had told that to my family. I'm thankful it happened in a bigger city, not a small town, because I was just another crazy person in my city. Like, it wasn't like this huge thing. Um, But if it had happened anywhere else, I feel like it would have been a bigger deal. So I'm thankful for the protection of that. But even adjusting to being back in my apartment, you know, being around the neighbors I had banged on their doors, you know, and seeing them and like kind of running into my building, like I wanted to run so far away from there. I did not want to be in that space. And I remember my parents had offered for me to move in with them. You know, it was something I considered because, you know, I don't know. I was lonely. I I was worried that something would happen again to me mentally. And I remember I went out with my friend, Julia, and she was like, girl, I love you so much, but do not do that. Do not do that. Do not move home with your family. Like, I know they love you and I know they're trying to help, but this is just like, she's like, you just don't want to do that. And I'm, I'm thankful for her advice at the time because I was really lost. I was so lost. And, you know, um, I just didn't really talk to anybody. And I think I realized through doing this podcast, I just stuffed it away. I just stuffed it away and moved forward and just resumed life. It's like I just clicked back into like normal mode. But I was so numbed out from the medication. And it was about three months into my diagnosis and being out of the hospital. I just started to get this very strong, intuitive feeling that I was not bipolar. I'd never had manic symptoms throughout my life. I'd never had any of the symptoms or characteristics of this disorder. And you have to remember, I had not been honest um, with a psychiatrist or therapist about what I was dealing with, you know, what I was dealing with mentally in my mind. Um, So I started to do some research for myself. And I realized, like, none of my symptoms matched. They matched bipolar to some extent, but because I hadn't had a history of that behavior, I really didn't feel like that that I was. And then I discovered a psychotic break. Um, and a psychotic break has all of the same symptoms, the manicness, the sexual, the, the uh, hallucinations, all of the things that I was dealing with. And there's always an event that triggers it. And it lasts, you know, anywhere from one to three months. And that was about the time frame where I became extremely manic. And the point, the, 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 the situation that snapped me was that message he had sent me because that's when I really lost my mind because um, I couldn't process what he was saying about him getting married and everything. Now, I wanted, I wanted to put a disclaimer out there. I'm not a medical professional. You know, I'm not someone that has any expertise on any medications or diagnosis or anything. This is just my personal experience. So this is just relating to me. So I just want to say that. So I just was like, you know what? I, I really trust my gut here. I really don't think I'm bipolar, but I didn't like sneak off the meds. You know, I, I decided to wean myself off. Um, and I, I made sure I set up an accountability. I told my psychiatrist, I told my therapist, I told my parents, and I told my aunt and my sister. So I was like, I'm going to just have, you know, I'm going to set this up so that 
if something does happen, I have the meds on hand. So if I start to have any type of manic episode, I have something that can help me. And I'm also letting people know. So it was not like a, I'm going to sneak off this and not tell anybody. I, 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 you know, I held myself accountable. And as I weaned myself off the medication, I started to feel again. And I think that was the biggest shift and hardest thing because the meds had numbed me to a place that I could function, but I wasn't really processing what had happened. And like a wave of emotion flood, everything that had happened just came back to me. I was so depressed. I was so sad. I could see myself for the first time. I mean, I didn't recognize my hair or my skin or my body. I had all these stretch marks because I'd gained so much weight. And my hair was falling out because of the stressful event that had happened. And I was sad. I was so sad. You know, I felt so lonely. Um, you know, this connection to this energy I'd felt was gone. There was no warm telepathy or magical feelings. It was just me alone with myself in my little apartment, just staring out the window. I mean, it was this very, very, very dark phase of my life. And I can honestly say, though, it was better than being numb. Even though the emotions were so hard to process, the numbing that I felt from the bipolar medication was just stunting my growth. It was not letting me process what had actually happened. And I cried myself to sleep every night for months. I was so sad. And I didn't really know where to go from there. You know, I started spending a lot of weekends with my family um, because I was lonely and that wasn't the healthiest thing for me just because it was super triggering and I felt like a kid again. I felt very disempowered. Um, I didn't want to be by myself. I was scared that something might happen again to me. Um, And I started to realize like I hadn't processed my divorce. I hadn't dealt with it. You know, I just stuffed it aside and jumped into this new twin flame journey. I hadn't really processed that. And there was the rebuild. There was the rebuild, like this aftermath. It was like this tornado had just torn through my life. And there I am just picking up the pieces, the relationships that I had pushed aside. I mean, I remember having a long conversation with my friend Lindsay and, you know, talking about not being at her wedding. She's like, so if I didn't know if we were friends anymore, I didn't know where I stood with you, you know, like we weren't talking anymore. You didn't want to see me. And that was really hard. It was so hard to realize how many people I had pushed out of my life. And my cousin was, why didn't you tell me you were manic? Why didn't you call me? I'm like, I don't know. Like I was so fearful of like, you heard the scenario in the last episode. I wasn't in my right mind. I didn't feel like I could call anybody. And So there was just a lot of rebuilding after that. You know, it's like you're picking up the pieces of your life that's completely demolished. Um, But one thing I can say about that is the people that matter will stay. The connections that are there will stay. You can't ruin a real connection. And I think that's what I realized. You know, there was a, a rebirth of me in so many different ways. I was not the same person that I was before. And this ascension process, whatever you'd like to call it, this awakening I had, it was an awakening. Yes, I had a psychotic break in the middle of it, but I had been gaining knowledge and advancing spiritually. And I could not relate to people the way that I had before. I mean, I wasn't flowing in the same way that I had before because this experience had completely demolished my life as I knew it. And I was really starting over from scratch. And that's kind of where the beauty is. I mean, it seemed so horrible and catastrophic at the time, but looking back now, I mean, it was such a fresh, clean slate for me. I really didn't have, I didn't have the, the baggage that I had was kind of just stripped away. It was almost like there was like a, you'd lit a match and just burnt down everything that was surrounding me. And I was literally just building up again. And during this time, you know, 
everyone's like, oh, are you going to date? Are you going to do this? And I really didn't feel ready to date. I mean, this was probably four months after I got out of the hospital. I was in therapy. I was like, yeah, I need to take my health back. I need to take my health back. But it wasn't the easiest process to get back into because I'd gotten so out of shape throughout this process. I was not taking care of myself. I wasn't eating. I wasn't sleeping. Um, I was not working out. Um, and I getting back in the dating pool, <laughs> I had thought, okay, I'm at the love of my life on this flight. Um, I don't have to date. Like this just happened for me. Law of attraction, bitch, you know, but you no, know, that was not the case. This guy had been engaged the entire time. I think that was the hardest part too. Was I was embarrassed, man. Like I was so embarrassed, dude. Like I, what was I doing? I thought about the letters. I, I'd like think about all the letters I said. I just, you know, those moments when you think back on something that was completely humiliating and you're like, oh, well, like, you just, I was starting to think about all the red flags and how he only texted me in the middle of the night. And it was just like, he, all he wanted was a booty call. And I guess I just was like, oh my God, you know, it was so embarrassing. And of course I had told all of these people about this guy, right? So so what was that? What happened with that guy? People that didn't know about my mental breakdown or anything that happened. So what happened with him? I was like, oh, he was engaged, you know, player. And they're like, ugh. <laughs> like, not that he drove me literally to being naked in the back of my building with a complete mental breakdown. Yeah, that wasn't that. We didn't talk about that. No, it's just like, oh, yeah, he was a player. Let's just pass over that. Uh, let's go to the bar and get drinks in L.A. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. Um. So I started to date a little bit, but it just was not for me. I wasn't ready. I realized, like, I didn't know how to date. I didn't know how to have a relationship. Um, and in this span of time, um, there was something that happened with my sister that was really hard. You know, I had said I'd been going up to see my parents on the weekends. Well, one particular weekend, my dad's like, you know, your sister, your oldest sister's really upset with you. I think you two need to have a conversation. And I was thinking, why isn't she telling me this? Why are you telling me this? You know, he's like, so tonight we're going to have her come over and you two are going to have a conversation. You're going to work it out. I'm like, okay, thanks for that. Um, my oldest sister had not really been supportive um, throughout my divorce. Um, my middle sister, too. I think they both kind of sided with my ex. They thought he was a really sweet guy. Um, I tried not to take it, hold it against him because he was such a manipulator. I kind of knew, like, yeah, that's probably how they're going to perceive him. But it still hurt to not, like, feel like I was supported through the divorce. She had made a comment, you know, you can come over for coffee. That was her, that was her reaching out to me, I guess. Um, so I kind of had a lot of resentment and anger towards her, just not feeling like she was there for me. Um, so... We're at this fire at my parents. They have my sister over, and she's just sitting across from me, very cold, very stoic, just sitting there staring. And I'm like, she's like, I don't know why dad did this, like, whatever. And I was like, well, I don't know what's going on. And she's like, well, you know, me and my husband, my brother-in-law, are really upset because you shared a lot of things with our girls about the spiritual journey you were on and this twin flame thing, and it was highly inappropriate, and it made us very uncomfortable, and granted I was manic you know I wasn't in my right mind at that point um and she's like and since you've been diagnosed with bipolar we don't want to have you around our kids anymore I think I lost it you know I just started bawling at the fire my mom and came and held me and my sister just looks at me she goes you know you know the truth you know Jesus is real and you're just denying him and she's like, and I don't want this around my kids. And then my brother-in-law chimed in and he was just like, yeah, I really agree with your sister. Like, until we know what this is, we just don't feel comfortable with you coming around the house. And it was such a trigger because when I had left the cult, I was banned from them 
you know, I was banned from the kids. I'd never been allowed to be alone with the kids. I could only see them at like, you know, family functions where there was a lot of people. Um, it was the last thing I needed, you know, and I looked at her when she was talking to me about Jesus and I said, I don't know anything about anything. I said, all I know is that I wish you could reach out to me and be there for me. You know, like, why are you saying this right now? You know? And my mom kept saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. She's saying this. And, and she just was like, well, I don't know what you want from me. I don't have the capacity to be there for, for you. You can just rely on our other sister for that. There was this coldness and this bitterness and this feeling from her. I don't know if it was the jealousy of the compassion I was getting from my parents or the fact that she's done everything right and she should, you know, she's looking at me like this divorcee with bipolar, which I wasn't bipolar, but, um, uh, you know, I think, I don't know exactly what this cold bitterness was coming from, but it was something I had to process and release because it was so hurtful. It was very hurtful to hear that at that point. And, you know, what I will say is my middle sister showed up for me and she's like just focus on her helping you because I can't do that so I said okay I think in that moment it wasn't like my sister died but I think I realized this relationship I don't think it's ever going to be anything I don't think we'll ever in this life work this out and that's okay you know I've had to practice a lot of forgiveness in my life and letting things go because if I've learned anything if we hold on to anger and resentment and trauma it's only weighing us down this is going to hold us back it has nothing to do with the other person you know, we have to learn how to set that free. And I really had to work on that. So that happens. <laughs> um, going through the dating. Oh, and that was another thing. They're like, we don't know who you're dating. We know you're dating people. We don't want you bringing random guys around the kids. I'm like, yeah, because I'm just like out hoeing it every night, you know, whatever. Um, so I kind of stopped going up to my parents. I think in that moment, I realized like, I don't think this is the healthiest thing for me to be here every weekend. I'm trying to heal mentally. And this is just kind of triggering me in so many different ways. So I said to my therapist, I said, I want to make a goal. I want to make a goal. I want to come home on my weekends and just be okay with being alone. I don't want to feel like I need to be with somebody. And there was this moment you ever have a moment where you've never felt more alone in your life? Like you tell the universe, you tell your therapist, I want to grow in this area. And they're like, okay, we're going to just give you an opportunity. I, <laughs> I think like back, you know, I was manifesting this growth and this expansion, but in the same space, it was so gut-wrenching hard. It was so hard. Um, I'd finished a trip in Boston and I've always commuted by bus to my city. And the last bus of the night leaves at 11.25 p.m. And so we get in at like 11, I get downstairs, I'm waiting outside baggage came for this bus. It's like 11.20, 11.25 comes, 11.35, 11.45. This bus is never late. Like it's always right on time. Midnight, no bus. I try to call the number, you know, it's, the office is closed. I can't reach anybody. And it's like 12.15 a.m. at this point. No one in the airport I'm locked out of security now. I can't get back through security because we do have a crew room at the airport that you can stay in, but it was closed. I couldn't get back through. And I'm standing outside and it's probably like, I don't remember what time of year it was, but it was shortly after um, everything had happened. And I just started weeping. I felt like the last person on the, on the planet. I felt so alone. I didn't. I knew there was like, I've never been someone to just call my parents like that, like in a moment of like, you know, desperation. I, I just, I just was like, there's, I'm, I'm single. I'm alone. There's no one I can call right now. And it was the worst feeling in the world. And I ended up sending a Snapchat to one of my friends and he just happened to be in the crew room at the airport. 
And he's like, where are you? I said, I'm downstairs. I'm like, I don't know what to do. He's like, I'm in the crew room. He's like, let's just split. You want to get a hotel together? And I think back now, like, I had always had such control issues my entire life. I feel like the universe stripped away everything I could ever lean on for any type of control or perceived control. You know, I felt so alone, so naked, so vulnerable. But every time I surrendered, the universe would show up and throw me a lifeline. Every time. Every time. I think that's when I started to realize how much the universe did have my back, even when it didn't seem like it. Um, And we ended up getting a hotel and it was great. But it was like this profound moment for me where I realized like, gosh, like I'm always going to be taken care of. Things are always going to work out for me, even if I don't think that they're going to. Um, So that, you know, that was a moment of growth. And and then all of a sudden, like, I just was like, you know, I, I should date. So I started to try to date on apps and I'd never randomly hooked up with guys. You know, it was something that you don't do that. You save yourself for marriage. You be this pure little girl, you know. I didn't want to be the pure little girl anymore. I just, like, wanted to see what was out there, you know. So I did a couple, I did this one, <laughs> this one random hookup with this guy. Oh, my God. Um, He worked at a brewery, and he had roommates and stuff. And he was like, you want to come over and have a beer and watch TV? And I was like, sure. So we're watching 30 Rock or whatever we were watching. I don't remember exactly what we were watching. And we were having beer and we went into his room and he's like, do you want me to fuck you? And I was like, okay. This guy didn't even have a bed frame. I mean, his mattress and box spring were on the floor and he would like take the beer stickers off the cans that he was trying and like put them on his wall. Um, It was probably the college experience that I wasn't missing out on, but you know, here I am at 32, just like, okay, here we go. And he's like jackhammering me on the bed. And my head is just like hitting his wall. <laughs> it's like, oh, this is great. This is so fun. Because so many people had said, girl, you've only been with one guy. You need to get out there and hook up and see, all, you know, get you some, you know, dick and whatever. And as he's hit, like, you know, jackhammering me and my head's hitting the wall, I'm like, okay, well, this isn't fun. Um, I know that's not the case for everybody that has these hookups. But for me, I was just like, Ugh. but something kind of wild happened. I remember I spent the night, I got up, and I left his apartment in the morning, and it was a beautiful summer day, and as I'm walking home, I just got this like, huh, I just did that. There was no guilt. I didn't feel degraded. I felt empowered because this was a decision that I made as a woman to just have sex with a random guy. It was liberating for me. I felt very powerful, and it's, you know... You grow up with these ideas, you know, and I know it's different for everybody. I'm not, con- I'm not condoning this behavior, but, oh, you know, you want to save yourself the sacred space. Like, you know, maybe not everybody feels that way. And maybe I needed to experience these things to teach myself something. And I was. I feel like every guy that I dated um, in the span of time was teaching me something I needed to know. Um, there was this other guy that I had connected with through music on one of the dating apps, and I really liked him. Um, but he was super, very forward sexually right off the bat. And he had bad breath. I don't want to go down that road, but <laughs> this is a very much of a turnoff for me. But he was like straddling me on the first date. And I was like, listen, like I am, I'm a noob here. You know, I, I, I'm, I need you to like slow down. Um, and then he kind of backed off and was like, oh, I don't know if we're looking for the same things. Like, you know, and, but then he would hit me up to go skinny dipping. Um, cause this was like the middle of summer I wasn't confident with my body. I wasn't, I wasn't feeling good about myself. You know, I'd gained a lot of weight. And, um, so just having a guy that wanted to spend time with me, 
felt good. And when we were out, he would be checking out other girls, you know, it was just, it wasn't, it wasn't ideal for me. And then there was this other guy I connected with and it was very hot and heavy in the beginning. He wanted me to send voice recordings of me doing my safety demo and I did it. I did it. You know, these are embarrassing things to admit, but I did do this because I was trying to find what my, I I wanted to feel some self-worth. I wanted to feel like somebody wanted me. And after coming out of what I had and it was very fast with this guy. His name was Chad. I should have known with a name like Chad, you know. Um, and he was like, we're going to, I want to take you out. You're freakishly beautiful. We'll go. We'll bop around the city. We'll get ramen. We'll do this. We'll do that, you know. And then he would send me videos and text me all the time and send me voice memos. And then he ghosted me. And I remember around this time, I was really struggling with processing my divorce, too, because I realized I hadn't really processed my divorce. And so I decided to draft up a letter to send to my ex. He had blocked me on everything because he had said in the, you know, at the beginning of our divorce, it's too hard to see you. I can't see you. So all I had access to was his email account. I didn't even know if he checked it anymore. Um, but I was like, I'm going to send him a letter. And it wasn't because I wanted to get back together with him or anything. I just didn't feel like I had closure. And I also didn't feel good about how I had handled the end of our relationship. So this was all kind of working in tandem at the same time. I connected with this guy, Chad, and I was trying to send a letter to my ex. Um, and everything came to a head on the exact same day. <laughs> Woo! You ask for growth, man, you get it. Um, so I'm in therapy and this guy chatted, goes to me, and then he sends me a text in therapy, which was perfect timing. And it was so familiar to the guy on the flight I'd met, such a player mentality. And what bothered me the most, I think, is because this guy had pushed it really fast. I mean, he was like, I want to take you out. I want to have babies in two years. I want to do this. I want to do that. And then all of a sudden he's like, can we pump the brakes? And I'm like, like you were the one like pressing the gas, you know? And his wording was so triggering. It was so much like the twin flame guy I'd met. He was like, Hey Sophie, sorry for the radio silence. I'm still in the process of figuring things out. And I just want to get back into the rhythm of new England living before I pursue a relationship. So can we put a pause on this? And my therapist said, don't respond. Give it 24 hours. Great advice. She's like, he's made you wait a week. You can make him wait 24 hours. I was just pissed. And actually, I want to share a recording I made um, in that very moment um, about the whole situation. It's an old note memo that I actually have saved to my phone. I don't understand these men. And I don't understand. And it's, I'm a firm believer in the universe. And I'm a firm believer in... Things are going to happen when they're supposed to happen. And I think right now, God wants me to just focus on myself, losing weight and being healthy and, you know, working on, through therapy and just getting to a place where I'm okay to be alone in my apartment on a Saturday night, you know, like I don't need to be on a date. And I'm, I don't know, I'm making a decision today to just let it go for at least six months and just knuckle down and work on me so on that day with that clip of my audio recording that voice memo I did I did a lot of voice memo memoing and um video journaling to help me process everything I deleted all the apps I'm like I'm not doing this anymore and I really just tried to focus on myself and at this point I had decided like you know, I need to invest in my health, you know, um, obviously, 
I was completely depleted. And my middle sister had said, you know, sis, like, I think your adrenals are gone. Like, I think you are, your fight or flight was so extended that you, cause I was so depressed. I'd never dealt with depression before. I'd always had anxiety, but I couldn't even get out of bed in the morning. My hair was falling out. I had no energy. Um, just to even get out of bed on a layover, just to like walk to the lobby to get coffee or something. I was completely depleted. She's like, sis, take some adrenal support. So I started taking adrenal support and then adrenal support turned into multivitamins and then multivitamins turned into green juice and then green juice turned into collagen. Collagen turned into meditation and exercise and long walks and documentaries. And I remember I watched Becoming Nothing, the Ram Dass documentary, and I started to really dive into podcasts. And I'd always loved podcasts. I'd always been a big, big believer in podcasts, but I found this one particular podcast called the Create the Love Podcast. It's Mark Groves. And he started to dive into relationship. I realized how codependent I was. I think I realized my tendency in relationship was to just completely lose myself and to just be all about the other person and not even like honor me as an individual. And I thought, shit, I don't want to continue this pattern in my life. If I ever end up in a relationship down the road, I want to learn what I did wrong the first time so I don't repeat it. I think there had been so much, I had had so many belief systems around relationship that were not healthy or um, very controlling, very patriarchal. Uh, Man is king, woman submits. Um, That wasn't me naturally. I was always very independent, um, but I still had a lot of those ideologies in my head. And that's why when I say this process of me, you know, dying to everything I'd ever known before. I don't want to say dying, but in a way it was a death. I had had this death of belief and structure. All of these things that I had based my life around literally didn't make sense anymore. And I was like, I want to rebuild what I believe. I want to start new agreements. I don't know if any of you have read the book, The Four Agreements, but that book changed my life. I read it years ago and I realized, wow, I can make new agreements. I don't have to take on my parents' agreements. I can build new agreements for myself. And one of those was, I want to have one day, I want to manifest a healthy relationship with another individual. You know, we choose to be together because we want to, not because we need something from one another. We're building this out of pure desire to be in a healthy relationship. And so I started to really dive into like Terry Cole and Byron Katie and uh, Mark Groves and and I started to just really dive in. Vienna Farone, um, Mindful Empty, she, her quotes, her writing. I started writing again. I started to really dive in. And I started to transition into loving being alone on the weekends. It was weird. I started to get very comfortable. Um, I got my little routine. I'd hang out with my cat, Tofu. That's her name. Um, and we just were chilling, girls. You know, we were just chilling. I'd hang out with friends. I had recently gotten promoted at work. Um, I had applied for a position before the pandemic um, and got waitlisted. And they called and they were like, no, like we have space for you now. We want to promote you. So I, I went to training in Orlando to become um, an onboard lead in our, in our first class cabin. So I had gotten promoted at work. I was doing re- really well. I was working out again. I was taking care of myself. I had said no to dating. Um, I was not dating anymore. And I remember one particular night I was like making my bed and doing things. I had these weekly calls with my really good friend, Lindsay. And I just got this psychic feeling. I was like, I am going to be in a relationship soon. I knew it. I just could feel it within myself. Something was going to shift. And I told her on the phone, I said, I'm really trying to enjoy this time right now because I think I'm going to be in a relationship. And she's like, 
what? You think so? I said, no, I just feel it. I feel it coming. This was probably in November of 2021. Now, you know how much I'm an advocate for California psychics. Now, they don't, this is not a sponsored podcast, okay? It just happened to be an outlet for me to get some <laughs> guidance throughout my journey. I called two different psychics on two different occasions. So when I first got out of the mental hospital, I called a psychic. And around this time, later in the year, I called another psychic. This is the last time I've called a California psychic. It's been a few years. <laughs> so when I first got out of the hospital, I think the psychic's name was Moro, but I can't really remember, but he was really funny. So when I got out of the hospital, all I wanted to know is if my twin flame was going to come back into my life, okay? So I called the psychic, and he's like, hey, you know. So I'm like, hey, like, I had this twin flame journey, and I just want to know if this guy's going to come back into my life. And he's like, okay, this is what I see. He's like, there's a 50-50% chance that this guy is going to come back into your life. He goes, but from what I'm seeing here, why would you want that? He goes, this guy was mean to you. He was a meanie. He was a meanie head. Just says it like that. It was so funny. I was like, yeah, I know. He goes, he treated you terribly. He said, why would you want this person back in your life? I was like, I don't know. He's like, he probably will reach out. He's like, but I don't recommend you communicating with him. And he said, was he bipolar? And when I tell you, I was like, fuck. Because I realized I was so in tune with his energy. If he was bipolar, I absorbed it and I took on that disorder. Um, I don't, I'll never probably know for sure what the case of that was, but he said, I really think he's bipolar and he has a lot of mental health issues. He goes, which you don't need to involve yourself in. I was like, okay. He said, we have a lot of connections in this life. He goes, there are good connections and there's bad connections. He goes, he was not the best connection, but he sparked you. Meeting him sparked your creativity and passion again. He said, you're working in a career right now but you won't be in this career forever. I see you developing your own business, your own thing outside of the spark and creativity. You have a soulmate you're going to meet. You're going to have a great life. He's like, I see nothing but great things. I was like, okay, thanks, California Psychic. Not sponsored, hashtag. (laughs) Um, But at the time, I didn't want to hear that. I mean, it sounded good, but at the same time, I was still so delusional and head over heels. I just wanted to hear that this guy was going to come back into my life, okay? Fast forward, I'm off dating apps. I'm not doing any of it. And I had this moment, you know, I've said it before, when you just feel like you need to make a shift. I was getting really comfortable with being by myself. And I don't know what it was, but I just was like, I need to get back on into dating. I didn't want to, but I knew that I needed to. Um, it was like this intuitive knowing. So it was around the end of November of 2021. I'm like, well, I'll reinstall the apps. We'll go down that road. I didn't really want to, but I did. Um, and I had heard, I'd been listening to this podcast. Um, Logan Yuri is the founder of, one of the founders of Hinge. And she was on a podcast with Mark Groves and they were talking about dating apps. Um, I always liked Hinge because I felt like Hinge was, you know, more people on that app pretending to look more for some type of connection. I, I liked the prompts. I liked the layout of the app. Um, so I was very interested in this podcast. And she was talking about you know, so many of us think we know our type. We think we know who's best for us. You know, we have this idea in our mind. We can read prompts on these apps and just go, ugh, he's not for me. Or 
Um, he doesn't look like my typical type. She said, I want to challenge people that are using these apps. They're a great resource for meeting people. And you're never going to know until you go out on that date if you're going to have a connection. She said, so I always tell people, don't assume you know your type. Put yourself outside your comfort zone and maybe go out with someone that you wouldn't naturally. You never know what's going to happen. And it really inspired me. I was like, you know, that's really right. When I when I do start dating again, you know, maybe that's that's what I need to do. So... I download Bumble and Hinge, and I matched with this guy in Bumble, and I don't know why I matched with him. I knew he wasn't for me. I knew I didn't like him, but I don't know. There was something about it that I felt drawn to, and I've always trusted myself. Even when I feel like something may not be for me, I know it's going to teach me something. So I'm in therapy with my therapist, and I'm showing her this guy. I'm like, I don't know. She's like, Sophie, he looks nice. Why not go out with a nice guy? You know, just give it a try. You never know. I'm like, yeah, I guess so. But I think for me, the conversation was so dead. Like, I need a juicy, sexy, scintillating conversation. I need you to, like, turn me on with being your, you know, intellectual bad self. This conversation was, like, so dry. But he was proactive. I mean... He wanted to set up a date with me immediately. And for all of my girls girls out there, people in the dating community, it takes a lot sometimes for guys to actually set anything up. They'll be your pen pal for six months before they actually meet up with you. So it was attractive that he was being, you know, taking initiative and wanting to set up this date. So um, I remember she was like, my therapist, like, just try, just go. You never know. I'm like, all right. Um, he's an engineer, owned his own home. My parents dream, right? Everything my parents could ever want from me. I remember I got in really late from Seattle the night before. Um, I was super tired. Um, I got up, kind of just slept most of the day. I hadn't eaten. Not a good idea if we're going to go drink wine. Um, (laughs) We get together. And when we met up at the restaurant, I was like, he's not so bad. You know, he didn't look bad. I mean, he wasn't a bad-looking guy or anything like that. But for me, I'm I'm about connection, you know, about soul connection. Um, So we sit down and we're talking. And I could feel his energy. I mean, he was looking a wife up. I mean, that is what he wanted. He's showing me pictures of his house and telling me about his parents and how many kids he wants. And I just was like, hey, I'm going to stop you right there. Like, I was married for 10 years. I'm letting you know. I don't know what I want. I don't know if I want to get married again. I don't really know where I'm at. I'm like, you're a nice guy. I wouldn't mind seeing you again. But I'm just going to be, like, clear about where I'm at in life. Me too, Soph. Me too. Okay, well... You're saying that, but your energy is reading very differently. And after about three glasses of wine on an empty stomach, you know, I was like floating. So he takes me back to my cousin's. I talk with her. And at the same time, I had connected with this guy on Hinge um, that was like living in Tennessee. And he was like tatted up, very much my typical type, like hipster, you know, uh, beanie, Carhartt, tattoos, you know. And he texted me that night. Um, We had exchanged numbers. He was apparently moving back to my city. And that became just like a sexting relationship. (laughs) You know, hey, I was trying things out, right? So I've got this one guy that wants to wife me up, and then this other guy just wants nudes. So I was kind of in that realm. And I want to call a California psychic. I'm like, I need to call a psychic. I need to figure out what's going on with my life. This is probably early December. So I call a psychic, and I'm like, hey, like, I'm dating this guy, and I really don't like him, and... You know, I don't know what to do about it. Like, and she goes, oh, this guy does not know you at all. He'll never be able to relate to you. She said, I do see another guy coming into your life. And I'm like, the guy from Tennessee? She goes, I don't know. I can't tell. She's like, there's an energy coming into your life. She said, okay, granted, this is December 1st, okay? She says, by December 31st, you're going to be in a committed relation. Like, you're going to be in a relationship with somebody. And I'm, I'm like looking at the clock and I'm, I'm like, no way. No way. 
I'm not going to meet somebody by December. I'm not going to be in a relationship. But this is in a month. That's unheard of. You know, I've been dating guys that have been ghosting me. It's like, this is not going to happen. She's like, no, but it's not going to be with this guy you're seeing. She said, you're going to meet someone completely different. And she said, you've got a great year coming. I see financial abundance. I see like a really fresh start for you. And after the year I'd had, that sounded pretty damn good. I mean, I wasn't looking to have another mental breakdown anytime soon. So, <laughs> or have this huge kundalini ascension, like spiritual awakening where I was like buzzing. Um, so I hang up the phone. I'm like, that's weird. Um, so this guy ended up continuing to pursue me on Bumble. Nothing ever became with Sexter guy. Um, he kind of just fizzled out. And I remember there was this moment. So he kept texting me. I had told him, you know, let's just be friends. He was not getting the hint. Um, and he'd offered to give me some hockey tickets, uh, to go and to bring whoever I wanted. So I brought my niece and her friend. And before this had happened, he was driving me, like he was suffocating me. And I had made the mistake of telling my parents about this guy. Of course, he's everything they wanted for me. You know, they're thinking engineer house. They're seeing like the stability, right? They're thinking, oh, you know, she can marry this guy, quit her job and pop out a couple babies and live that life. You know, there was a part of me that wondered if I wanted that, you know, I'd always thought with my ex, you know, if he just had a stable job and he had a house, like I'd be happy. And I was realizing like, that's not what I want. You know, that's my parents' paradigm. That's what my parents want. That's what my parents have. That's what they've wanted for all of me and my sisters, but it's never been what I wanted. I want a strong connection, a bond with somebody. I want to have a healthy mental life. I want to have experiences in traveling. I want to create. I want to expand. I want to, I want to have experiences. I've never been about materialistic possessions. I've never been about what I have physically. That's not me at all. So dating this guy was kind of like me figuring out that this isn't the life I wanted. I think the universe was showing me and I was showing myself. I had to date this one person that represented this paradigm of what I no longer wanted. I wasn't resonating with it. It was not what I wanted. Everything inside me was screaming. Before I would even hang out with him, I'd want to get insanely intoxicated because he just, everything about his energy and what he represented screamed at me like conform, conform, conform. Um, so one night before this hockey game, he drives me to hinge. I'm like so annoyed with him. Like he's just suffocating me. He won't leave me alone. I keep telling him like back off, you know, and um, I'm scrolling through profiles and I don't think that this prompt would have hit me at any other point in any other time time in my life in the same way. And I come across this profile and I read the prompt and it says, I'm looking to start slow and casual as I'm coming out of something long-term and this is all new to me. And it just hit me. I was like, fuck, that's where I'm at in my life. It just felt like a lifeline. Like someone was like, here, you know, it's this non-committed, easy connection. Um, it sounded very similar to where I was at. I wasn't in that space at any other point in my life. And when I look through the profile, I knew this guy. It wasn't the same with my twin flame or perceived twin flame where I was like fiery, throw my phone, ah, you know, it was more like, wow, like there was this calm and this sense of knowing that this person was going to be with me in a relationship. I could tell in his eyes, the kindness, I could see his soul and I wasn't worried about it. So all I said was same to that prompt and I sent it off and I'm like, I'm going to match with him in about an hour. Sure enough, Matt. Matt, Matt, you and Matt have uh, matched and we just start talking and the conversation flowed. And I remember one of the first things he said to me was, it's so refreshing to meet someone in the same space as me. What's the same for you? 
And I said, a long-term relationship. And I'm thinking, okay, there's no way he's been with someone as long as I am because we're both in our early 30s. Like, there's no way. He's like, oh, I was in a relationship with someone for 12 years. Mind blown. I'm thinking, okay, that's crazy because I was with someone for 10. We had so much in common. I mean, I wasn't intimidated to talk to him about things because I felt like he got it. We got it. And the thing that was so refreshing too with him was he wasn't obsessed with my job. So many guys I had talked to were obsessed with the fact that I was a flight attendant and they made it like the whole thing, like the guy that wanted me to send the voice recordings of me doing the safety demo. And then the guy that wanted the free flight benefits, like, fuck off. Like he was like, no, that's cool. That's what you do. But I want to get to know you. We both loved music. He's a writer, an editor, worked for a newspaper for years. I thought that was so fucking cool. He said encapsulate. I love words. You know how I am about words. It's a lot for words. Um, And yeah, we just started talking. There was this like comfort and ease with him. So at this hockey game with this other guy, I'm like sneaking off into the bathroom to message him on Hinge. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go to two shows tonight. Um, I'm trying to decide if I want to go to like this funk night or this emo night. And it just seemed like he had a life. And that was very attractive because this other guy at the hockey game I was with, you get four free hockey tickets and you have no friends to give them to. To me, that was a huge red flag. Um, And we're sitting there. And again, this guy was really nice. You know, he bought everything. He took care of my niece and her friend. And he just comes down and he like sits next to me and he like grabs my hand and he looks at me and he goes, hi. And when I tell you my skin crawled, I'm not even joking. I'm sitting there holding his hand, feeling bad because he's bought me a hot dog, you know, that I got to hold his hand. And I remember thinking, oh shit, codependency, ding, 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 like get out of here, run, run, run. Um, I didn't want to hold his hand. I was holding his hand for him. And it felt like I was already in over my head and I couldn't get out. Um, so Matt on this Hinge profile was like this like lifeline. I just kept messaging him the whole night. And then the next morning I call my aunt and I'm like, I'm having a midlife crisis. Like, yeah, this guy, I don't know what to do. She's like, Sophie, he represents the paradigm that you're shifting out of. That's why you feel like this when you're with him. Like, this isn't what you want, but you're showing yourself that. So I knew I had to end it with this guy, but I knew I had to see this other guy, Matt, because I just could feel that there was going to be something there. I just knew it. So I really thank this guy from Bumble because he pushed me into a different space where I probably wouldn't have been before. So I told Matt, I'm like, let's meet as soon as possible because I didn't want to prolong it. Um, I found like you got to meet someone right away to see if the connection is there. I knew it would be, but I still just wanted to meet up with him. So we make a plan to meet for drinks. Um, And I asked my pendulum before we left, I'm like, am I going to be in a relationship with this guy? And the pendulum just like, it's like, (laughs) yes, big yes. I don't even think I needed the pendulum to tell me that. So we go for drinks. I think the first thing I noticed about Matt was the fact that his energy calmed me down. Like I was nervous. And as soon as he walked up to me, I felt myself go, (sighs) you know, he shifted me into my parasympathetic nervous system. You know, he was so good for me. Um, We sat down and talked. I'd had guys tell me, you share too much, like future reference, don't share so much about yourself, like sprinkle it in or you're going to scare the guy away. Well, you know what? That's not me. Sorry. Wear my heart on my sleeve. I mean, I'm making a podcast about my mental breakdown. So clearly I don't really try to hide anything. Um, so I just shared everything with him. I didn't share anything about the bipolar and mental breakdown. I was kind of saving that. And as I'm telling him my story, you know, he's beaming. He was like grinning from ear to ear. I could sense he was proud of me. Like I could feel like he was like, wow, you know, this girl's a badass, you know? Um, And then he started to share about his like 
family and his he had been divorced and you know we had so much in common we were navigating the dating world we'd been together since we were babies with our significant others and so we didn't really know what we were doing so it was so refreshing to meet someone you know that was just like me in that way so drinks turned to dinner Dinner turns to records back at my place. I don't know who made the first move, but we were making out before I knew it, and I felt the spark. I kissed a lot of guys that I went on dates with. I would always kiss the guy before the night ended to feel something. I'd never felt a spark before, and this was the first time I'd felt a spark. And he was taking time and investing. I mean, he... I remember he, he sat down on my little beanbag in my, my tiny little apartment and he looked through all my books and all my records and he looked at my paintings. He was investing. He cared about me. He cared about my soul. I think that's like the biggest thing I can say. He wasn't straddling me. You know, he was just trying to get to know me. And so we started making out and we made out till the sun came up and then he had to go to work. I had to go to therapy, but it was honestly one of the most romantic nights of my life. And I was so calm with him. There was no anxiety. There was no stress about anything. We were just fluid, you know? So he, he went to work. I went to therapy and I'm telling my therapist about this. And of course I've been up all night. So I'm like a hot, hot mess. And she said, wow, you found a good one, girl. I said, I know, I know I did. Like I, I, I just knew. Um, later on that day, he texted me and was like, Hey, I'm going to go look at records. You don't have to go. Don't feel like you have to, but he's like, I'd I'd really love to go with you. Um, I went, we looked at records. We went back to his place. Um, and we just listened to records. We just sat on his couch and I went in the bathroom at his apartment and I said, I love this guy. Like I knew it. I loved him the minute we met. And I remember after I left, I just felt so calm. And I texted him. I said, like, whatever this is, is so good for my nervous system. Like, you're so good for my nervous system. Um, After everything I'd been through, it just felt so right. And I had to leave the next day for a four-day trip. And we just talked the entire week. And I shared things with him. I was in Cleveland on a layover. I love Cleveland. And I was sharing everything with him. And he was so excited to talk to me. And there was like no weird, should I text this person at this point? Should I not text this person? There was like no anxiety. It was so easy. And I remember I was getting back for the weekend and he was getting off work. And he said, I can't even think of a better way than starting out the weekend than seeing you. He wasn't hiding himself. He was, he was sharing with me how much he liked me. And that was really refreshing because I felt like everybody was so guarded that I had dated. Nobody wanted to like be vulnerable or talk about if they liked you or not. Like everybody was trying tiptoeing around. Like, should I like this post? Should I I follow this person? Should I, like there was no bullshit. It was just cut and dry. There's a connection here. And we got together after I got home and he got out of work and we walked for dinner. And I remember he grabbed my hand and it was like, (sighs) like, like this breath of fresh air, like this feeling of safety and just, ease and comfort. It was so relaxing. And within a week, we dated our deleting apps off our phone. And by December 31st, as the clock struck 2022, we told each other we loved each other. And I couldn't help but think about that California psychic. I know I am not being sponsored right now, but that's what she had said to me. You will be in a relationship by December 31st. (laughs) Mind blown. I had no idea. But psychically, I did know some of these things were coming. I could sense it. You know, I feel like there's always been times in my life where I can feel this shift. Life these days looks so different than it did before. I, when I say that, I thrive now. You know, I feel so 
passionate about where my life is heading with this person, with Matt. You know, we are, we're a team, we're a unit, we're a partnership. Are there growing pains and struggles? Am I going to say it's all beautiful roses, candy cane, sunshine, ballroom dancing? No, it is a co-creation of two individuals coming together to build something beautiful. You know, it's a partnership. It's a uh, foundation. And you know, I believe in soulmates. I do. I believe I do believe in twin flames. I do. I think there was a spark that had to happen to send me in this trajectory of ascension and expansion for me to get to where I needed to be. I didn't see it for what it was in the moment. And I think we can wrap our minds around that. If you have someone that you meet that sends you on this transcendent journey, it's not probably for the best that you end up with this person. Maybe some people do, but for me, it was the spark I needed to shift and change my narrative. And it did in a completely different way. And I'm so thankful for it. There's not one thing I would change about the experience I've had, the lessons I've learned, and all the things that life has brought full circle. Well, (laughs) sharing this journey has been such a honor and a privilege. And for those of you that listen, it means a lot to me that you've taken the time out of your day to listen to my journey. I do feel like there's a purpose behind it. That's why I'm being so vulnerable and sharing it. Life these days for me is beautiful. I have an amazing partner who challenges me and pushes me to be my best self. We're building a life together that's so different and unique. We're breaking generational curses together. We're changing our narrative together. And, you know, I'm so excited about this project, this podcast. It's my baby. It's, it's this birth. I'm I feel like I'm birthing this project. Um, I feel like when you're in alignment with your purpose, there's just a different energy and a shift that happens. And that's how I felt in my life. It's been this resurgence of this feeling of freshness and rebuilding and rebirth and repurpose. And, you know, I think when we really tune into what our purpose is or what we feel called to do, things shift and change. And there is a grieving process that happens. I mean, you don't resonate always with the same people that you used to and you're, sh- you're switching up your routine and your vibration and things start to fall out of your life. But I think if we can see that process as a journey of self-discovery and not as a negative thing, you know, I think about, you know, people that come into your life that teach you something. And once you've learned that lesson, they sometimes fade out of your reality and that is okay. Because we aren't here to stay safe and comfortable. We're here to expand and be the best versions of ourselves that we can be. And everything that's happened to me in my life has happened for a reason. There's not one thing I would change, not one situation I would change. I used to look at things as situations as bad or good or people like this person wasn't good or this person. I don't believe that way anymore. I think that each person comes into our experience to teach us something if we're willing to learn it. And that is what happened in my life. I've had to practice a lot of forgiveness and I've had to have a lot of people forgive me for things that I've done as well. But we're learning, we're creating, and we're collaborating together. And everything that happens in our life is for a reason and a purpose. I want to leave this podcast episode with a few thoughts. If you've taken anything from my story, I hope the one thing that you leave with is to trust your intuition. Anytime someone asks me advice or what I would do in a situation. I say, what is your gut telling you? Because I think we are so smart as humans. We have this internal knowledge. We know what we know. 
but we let so many other people dictate that in our lives. We let so many people tell us what we're thinking. When we truly have the answers, we just need to harness that inner personal power and allow the teachers that come into our experience to show us and guide us as well, because they'll be there. I still believe in the magic of manifestation. I still believe in my divine guides leading me every day. I believe in synchronicity and angel numbers. I I believe in all of those things. Those are still in my experience, but I'm more grounded in how I view it now. And I see life more realistically. You know, there was a point in my life where I saw everything through rose-colored glasses. I wasn't being realistic. I adopted law of attraction as my religion. Um, I think if we can free ourselves from all those limitations, we really can expand and be the best versions of ourselves. I really am excited that you're here because in the next few weeks, months, years, I have been meeting amazing people that have been coming into my experience. And I've had the privilege of interviewing several people in the next few weeks. I will be uploading new episodes of the podcast where people are sharing their journey about how they've changed their narrative. I've met so many amazing people and also people I've known throughout my life that are willing to be vulnerable and brave and share their story. So I really hope that you tune back in and follow this podcast because it's going to be very exciting in the next few weeks with what I'm going to be uploading. Thank you so much for listening to this episode the aftermath and rebuild. I'm Sophie Catherine for the Changing the Narrative podcast. If you do like what you're listening to, if you wouldn't mind going ahead, as I've always said, and hitting that follow button and also giving me a five-star rating, you can also stream this podcast on the Apple Podcasts. And you can find me on Instagram at changingthenarrative underscore podcast. It's been such a pleasure to share my journey with you. If you do feel like you have a story that you'd be willing to share as well on the podcast, feel free to reach out through my Instagram. I would love to connect with you. Have a great day. Thank you so much for listening and take care.